Hello and welcome back to Trash and Treasury with Grace and Miranda, the podcast where we give you the smart stuff with a side of garbage. So a few of you may have listened to the end of our podcast last week for our recommendations where (laughs) I uh, happened to accidentally give Grace the wrong impression that Camilla Parker Pulse had directed a film. (laughs) I also... think I may also jump to conclusions. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I think um, I think a few people have agreed with you um, on that one. So um, the reason I couldn't get her out of my head is because of The Crown, which we will be talking about today and specifically season four and all of our reactions. Oh, I am so excited as well. You recommended this early this season. And I have just come hot off the heels. I just finished it and I'm so excited to talk about it. It's amazing. Everyone watch it. Pause the podcast till you've watched it. (laughs) Absolutely. And we will also be talking about the phenomenon of ghosting and all the kinds of ghosting. When does it happen and why? Yeah. And it's not a new phenomenon, actually. Like people have talked about ghosting since the 70s, but for some reason there is something about modern society where it is more common. A lot of people have either been ghosted or have done the ghosting. So what is going on? Yes, I can't wait to find out some personal anecdotes. (laughs) (laughs) And as always, we will be dying on some hills and recommending some (laughs) awesome shows. (laughs) But let's first talk about ghosting. Ghosting refers to the behaviour where you end a relationship with someone by just not replying to them ever until they just give up contacting you. No explanation, just withdrawing all contact. And this isn't just something that happens in romantic relationships. It can happen in friendships quite regularly as well. And it's very common. So Mm. Elle magazine estimates that about 20% of women and 30 3% of men have been ghosted and 24% of women and 17% of men admit to doing the ghosting. Wow. So it's a lot. But just to clarify, this is what ghosting is not. Ghosting is not when you both just mutually stop contacting each other in a friendship or relationship just fizzles. Yeah, fizzling out. (laughs) Fizzling, a natural fizzle is okay and it's different to ghosting. And ghosting is also not the slow fade. And the slow fade is where you sort of say, oh, I'm busy, I'm busy, and eventually they give up. Ghosting is very sudden, it's very final, and it's very abrupt. Yes. And I think it has to be, you know, someone could have even then prompted a question or there's one or two messages and then there is just complete radio silence with no effort to contact. But realistically, you know, they're still alive. Yeah, I think that's the difference between the fizzle and the ghosting. In a fizzle, you're both not contacting each other, whereas in a ghosting, one person is like, hey, have I done something to upset you? I don't understand. Text me back. And they just get nothing. So why do we do it and what's the harm? Mm. To answer this question, I watched the reality TV series called Ghosted Love Gone Missing by MTV. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure if that's a step above or below Wikipedia. (laughs) (laughs) I 
think it's below. Below. And why I say that is I just need to play you the start credits because they are hilarious. Please. Have you ever been ghosted? Totally left in the dark by someone you care about? No texts, no DMs, nothing. How did you find this show, Grace? And where can we watch this? Great question. So this show is on Stan. It's very similar to Catfish. It's basically the Ooh. same concept. They get a person who feels wronged. They've been ghosted. They interview them and then the host track down the ghost and it all ends every episode in a confrontation where the ghosted person um, gets to ask the person that ghosted them, why did you do this? And they have to explain. And every time they say, I ghosted you because, and then they have an ad break. So it's oh, that kind of show. Gosh. <laughs> it's very dramatic. This sounds um, incredible we've recommended they, some really highbrow things lately what was it last week I didn't know I was pregnant <laughs> yeah I know this is basically that and they call it the ghost and the haunted so if you've been ghosted you're the haunted oh my god that is so lame <laughs> <laughs> being being the victim of ghosting you're called the haunted like that's way cooler than the reject you know yeah way cooler it's also very taylor swift she has a lot of songs about being rejected where she sings about being haunted i bet that'll be her third album it'll be called the haunting something (laughs) true maybe look it's still coming we're still waiting for it who knows um but look it's it is an interesting show and i watched a few episodes of it and when it all comes out and gets revealed a lot of the reasons why people ghost, it's always about avoiding conflict, but then also it's generally either a misunderstanding or just like a shitty person where you're like, actually, you didn't really owe them an explanation, like whatever. And yeah, I think I have definitely ghosted someone like in an online dating context. And I feel like in an online dating context, if you haven't met them, ghosting is okay. Yeah. But this show is more about people that were like best friends for 15 years and then one day like blocked on all types of social media and stuff. And that would be really traumatizing. Definitely. Like there are definitely levels. Like being ghosted sort of can encompass – Um, all of those sort of things where someone just suddenly disappears. But, I mean, on a dating app or something, if you just unmatch with someone, you could consider that being ghosted. Well, that's, I agree. I mean, I think think that is. And I think it is too. I mean, you're engaging with somebody and then you're like, "Mm, I actually am not really into this person anymore. And if they haven't done anything offensive, you're just not feeling it, unmatch, then kind of it's expected in the online dating context. But usually people would either do the subtle fade away and just kind of let the conversation fizzle naturally Mm. or say, you know, maybe just not feeling it or something like that. But a lot of people say that the subtle fade away is actually more harmful because you're really stringing people along for a lot longer and it's sort of more a mind game where you're like, are they genuinely actually busy all the time? Whereas in a ghost, it can be really confusing, but at least the message is clear. 
so funny how much my opinion on this has changed over the years. Really? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I remember dating a boy um, when Mm. I was in uni and I just thought he was fantastic and we got along really well, but I had no concept of what a casual relationship was. Like I just didn't get it. And sometimes there would be contact, other times there would be uh, like just, it would just be, it's like I was ghosted for a week at a time and then it, mm. he would pop back onto the radar again. But we wouldn't necessarily catch up again. He'd just kind of, I guess Check in, being Make called, being strung along or, um, yeah. you know, whatever. But it Being I kept mean, on the back burner. Yeah, being benched. Being benched is also another word or it's called mm. breadcrumbing when yes. someone just throws you a little breadcrumb every now and then just to, just to, to keep, keep you, you going. Mm. Keep you hooked. Yeah, to keep you hooked. And um, I just didn't understand it. I didn't understand it. Whereas if he disappeared, I would have thought, oh, okay, if there was no reply to my text message or something, I would have thought, okay, this person's clearly trying to break it off with me. Um, But it was confusing. And until I had more dating experience, I was like, oh, that's what that was back then. I get it now. Um, And now I think, eh, no reply. I don't really feel that bad about doing it and I've definitely mm. done it. I have 100% ghosted but not after I've been in a relationship or if somebody had really texted me and say, look, I'm just really not sure what's going on. Could you please reply? I would 100% reply. Yeah. But if they ask me one or two things and I'm really not feeling it, I'm going to just let that go. I'm going to just let that go and I don't feel that bad about it. And I, I think because it is modern – like it, I'm more accepting of it. But mm. back in the day, I would have thought it was horrible. And I know a friend who was in a relationship and for a whole year and he literally just disappeared. Deleted his Facebook, yeah. changed his number, like just everything. I'm pretty sure. See, he, that's so hard. She could go on that show. It was horrible oh, and she yeah. was absolutely devastated. I mean, they were together for a year. It's not as yeah. if, you know, she'd met his family. And I guess she could have gone over to their house or something, but she didn't want to appear. But that's also weird behaviour. That's like, that's a bit scary and physically intimidating to show up at someone's house. Like you kind of. It is, but there was a. There was. There was a point where she thought, "I wonder if something's happened to him," because they'd been dating for a year, and how bizarre! You've met someone's parents and everything, but then, um, you know someone else was able to find him on Facebook or whatever. So, you know, it's clearly that she was blocked and that he hadn't faded away or I don't know. I mean, if someone just deletes their account, you know it's on purpose. They've either blocked you or they've deleted their account, which means it was a decision that they made. Therefore, they yeah. don't want you to find them. So that's it's why so she didn't sad. go to anyone's house. It's it is so, so hard. sad. What the experts say is that the reason it happens is that people who ghost just don't know how to deal with conflicts and they don't want to break up with you. They feel like that's going to be really awkward and uncomfortable and they'd rather just avoid that whole conversation. But the thing is, ghosting yeah. is so much more harmful and traumatizing because of the lack of closure and the confusion. And as you said, like she didn't even know if he was physically alive and okay. And I think, yeah, the thing is, it's like... It's bad, but 
what's the alternative? And then some people just really don't want to have that conversation. But that's part of being a grown-up. You just sometimes have to have tough conversations. And, you know, I say this as a person who has, like, you know, just not responded to people. But I feel like in a very initial dating context, I don't feel that bad about it. It's kind of how we do And if anything, it's actually kind of easier. Like, if in a very, very, you've only had a few messages and someone's like, look, you're just not my type because of this, you'd be like, I don't need to hear that. (laughs) Just don't reply. Like, how dare you? (laughs) If I had, like, a beer with somebody and um, clearly we weren't feeling it and then I got a text message from that person and they said, hey, it was really nice to meet you, just just to let you know, I wasn't really interested. Um, therefore, we won't be catching up again. But good luck. I'd be like, screw I'm you. I'm not interested. You can't, yeah. How dare you reject me? I was. I would have rejected you. We both could have said nothing to each other and we would never have had to have this conversation. <laughs> you know, exactly. like, I clearly wasn't feeling it either, you know. And um, so that part of it, I'm sort of like, no, it's just I think people are picking up what you're putting down. Whereas if people are confused and they message you and they're like, hey, I really don't understand. Could you please explain? Or, um, you know, is, are you okay? Is everything all right? And I would 100% be honest, even though it makes me feel awkward. I would totally mm. say always be honest and I would do it myself even if it made me feel horrible but um if you're dating somebody you just have to do it suck it up Mm. be an adult and break up with somebody I mean you're literally hurting someone you have to go through like you know 30 minutes of uncomfortableness and that person has to then deal with being broken up with it's way harder for that person do you know Mm. what I mean like it's not that hard but yeah some I think just people are so used to not having to face up to things in, you know, our tech-savvy world and interact and have tough conversations that yeah. it's happening so much. I think there's also to. less consequences because, say, 30 yeah. years ago you'd meet people through mutual friends or through work and there was more social consequences with running into that person down the line, whereas with online True. dating you're like, I literally will never see them again, ever. Well, yes, I mean... Maybe in some, maybe in big cities. Maybe in big cities, maybe not in Bendigo, though. Yeah, (laughs) where Um, you live. (laughs) (laughs) So I suppose you you can only um, do the subtle fadeaway here in in this town. But um, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) There is more anonymity. And even, I mean, look, even people in Melbourne, I've seen people, you know, only date within 5Ks radius of themselves. Um, You know, like... The, the pool is small and you probably will run into that per, that person, um, you know, on Sydney Road or Brunswick And you will mutually avert your eyes and give each other the patience and space of pretending you don't recognise each other. Exactly. <laughs> and in this ghosting show, a few of the people do reconnect, um, which is also quite beautiful. So, oh, like, sometimes nice. ghosting can be a misunderstanding. And yeah. because you don't have that opportunity for communication, I guess it does just amplify the possibility of a miscommunication. Yeah, and it's sort of like, oh, well, they didn't say anything to me. Well, I'm not going to say anything to them. And you think that you've been ghosted. But sometimes people could have maybe sent a text message or thought they did, you know, mm, or something. And it's like, yeah. wait, hang on, I thought you just never responded to me and you're so flaky and da 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 and you know, instead yeah, of working so on true. that, it was just a misunderstanding or something like yeah, that. So true. And I think another thing that's important to just mention is that what we're talking about 
only applies for healthy and normal relationships. And if you are in an abusive relationship, you do not owe the other person anything. Your safety and getting out of that comes first and you don't have to give them like a conversation, explanation, you know, you just need to get physically and emotionally safe and... So I think True. that's worth acknowledging as well. You like, can ghost okay the shit out of a relationship like messages. that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go ahead and ghost that relationship. Go ahead and yeah. do, it. Um, do it. Yeah, exactly. And that's a really good point, actually. And um, also, you don't need to be a friendly ghost. So a friendly ghost is another concept that people mm. have developed since ghosting became a thing. And it's sort of the, hey, I'm going to disappear now. Okay, bye. Um, but it's still, (laughs) but some people are critical of this term and I can see why I'm kind of on their team. Um, they're saying, what's the difference between a friendly ghost and a ghost? Do you give a bit of warning? Is that the difference? Yeah. But they're like, hang on. Isn't a friendly ghost just saying we're no longer dating? Like, isn't that just being a decent person? (laughs) Like, why are you a friendly ghost? And I think the distinction comes in is that, you know, you can say, okay, I'm disappearing now, but perhaps there's a lot more that needs to be said, but that person still disappears. It's like they're a friendly ghost. They did say that they were going, they're about to ghost you, but then they still disappeared without any context, without mm. any resolution, without but any conversation. But at least you know they're alive. So you, you know they're can, alive. Uh, relax a little bit. They're being clear. Your rejection. They're being clear, yep, that they're rejecting you, that they're disappearing and they do not want to have a conversation to resolve anything with you. Um, so that's a friendly ghost. <laughs> I know. Yeah, mm. I don't know about that either. Like, clearly, it's not Still the best rude. way to go about it in yeah. a long term relationship or friendship. And I think we've established we both kind of agree in a very new short term thing, it actually is kind of fine. Like, but in a yeah. more long term thing, even if you signal your intent, like you're not giving the other person an opportunity to ask any questions and you're just outie. Yeah, it's not like you can, you know, be living with another person. You come home one day and they're packed up and left and fled the country. It happens. It happens. And you're like, I know it happens. It's insane. But you can't just come home and be like, what? Like, <laughs> should we have had a conversation? about this like what the hell Mm. I feel like usually um in those situations that aren't um abusive ones you know when that Mm. does happen usually it's kind of like a a con artisty type job you know according to the movies I don't know Mm. about according to your show yeah (laughs) there wasn't an example like that that I saw in the three episodes I watched but look maybe Mm. yeah it is complex and it's super common I think I think it's really interesting and I think like, yeah, fundamentally, as we've said, it comes down to wanting to avoid conflict, but it causes so much more conflict. And on the point of conflict avoidance, I would just say if you're in a conflict avoidant person, this show, the reality show is like so (laughs) stressful because they literally bring them together and they're like, why? And they like, they like Google everything and they're like, but a week later after you had dinner, you met this person and like, they find out all this like weird stuff that happened and like put them on TV. So it's like, if you are embarrassed about conflict, Break up with someone decently because if you ghost, you might end up on this show and you'll be in a whole world of conflict. 
so true. It's the same, <laughs> same as catfish and that is such a good point. And I think like not everyone has the opportunity of ghosting available to them. I'm thinking of particularly Charles, the Prince of Wales. He definitely wanted to ghost Diana, but... <laughs> He had a lot of royal duties that the queen wouldn't let him. And maybe if they had have just mutually ghosted each other, a lot of suffering could have been avoided, don't you think? It's true. And um, I am sensing <laughs> a topic change. So how about we just head on over to trash? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Season four of The Crown on Netflix covers the period of the British royal family from just before Charles, Prince of Wales, meets Diana. Mm. And we all know what happens next. But season five will still include Diana, so it doesn't quite get to um, our current and so knowledge. so season six, actually. Really? Is Diana yeah. doing that too? So we are going to have this focus to be on season four, but just quickly, uh, season five and six will include Diana, played by an Australian actress. Yes, I did hear that. It's going to change. So the season four actress is done, sadly, because she was amazing. I thought when I was watching this season of The Crown that that was the Australian actress, mm. but yeah, no, she's coming coming in later. But I have to say I loved this actress. I thought that she was absolutely brilliant as Diana. Too. She really just... She just wowed um, audiences and she just really embodied Diana. She just seems like Diana to me now. Like Mm. I just think of her face almost like she just really did such a good job. It also focuses on this season, the affair between Prince Charles and Camilla Parker Bowles. Famous film (laughs) director. (laughs) Famous film director. (laughs) Promising young woman. (laughs) And killing Eve. Um, (laughs) So off brand. It makes so much more sense now that you've cleared that up. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That actress is also awesome, by the way. I thought she was really cool and she really looks like Camilla Parker Bowles. And Mm. um, also it includes Julie, uh, not Julian Jacobs. (laughs) From Community. No. (laughs) From Community. Julian Anderson. It includes Julian Anderson who plays Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady. Mm. And she is also absolutely brilliant as Margaret Thatcher. So it's pretty much the start of her reign to the end of her reign. And yes, audiences could pick up this season of the crown without watching anything previously, which I'm pretty sure is what you did, Grace. Am I right? Except for season one. That is right. So I did this purely based on your recommendation and the fact we had had some fan requests. So I take my duty seriously as they do on the crown. (laughs) Your duty. And, I skipped from the end of season one to the start of season four. I did watch about 10 minutes of YouTube recap just to find out what I missed in season two and three. Good idea. But I feel like you're right. It wasn't much. No. So, um, look, spoiler warning. However, Mm. I mean, this is history, um, mostly. So... um. Yeah, and particularly (laughs) Diana, I feel like she's the most well-known of the royal family in terms of... Her life is already very well documented. I still found myself been surprised, movies and shows, though, because I I knew about Diana, but obviously this covers from the start to the end of Thatcher, including the royal family. But yeah, I mean that period of time, I didn't know half the things that happened in this season, mm. um, which I found really really interesting. But what I first want to know is, did you love it? 
Uh, I 100% was obsessed with it and loved it. Yay! Probably wasn't worth investing an extra 20 hours to catch up on those other seasons. Like, I think just go watch season four. I wish Um, I'd watched those YouTube recaps instead. They were such a yeah, Yeah, because as you said, Diana Spencer and Margaret Thatcher are both introduced in the first episode of season four and they are the two most compelling characters and so you're not missing anything with those. Like they're two brand new stories that are fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. It is fantastic and I think um, Olivia Coleman, who we've gushed about before on the podcast because we talked about her in the Fleabag episode, I feel like this is the role she was born to play. Mm. Claire Foy was amazing as well in season one and two, but I feel like Olivia Coleman is the queen, the same way you said that um, the actress that plays Diana is Diana. And Gillian Anderson is Thatcher. Like as much as I loved um, Meryl Streep when she was in that movie about Thatcher, she did an incredible job because it's Meryl Streep. But my of God, Gillian Anderson, I have to say, she just, she's it for me. I reckon she was almost better than Meryl Streep. In this, um, in terms of Olivia Coleman, absolutely love her, and I think she did a fantastic job as the Queen. It just really highlighted how much the Queen doesn't do. Really highlights it to me this season, particularly. I just thought, mm. how ridiculous! How ridiculous that somebody can't get a divorce! How ridiculous! these standards that they upheld in modern times, you know, when other people could do things and they just didn't, um, they don't move with the times and it's such an outdated institution. But just on top of that, at least if they stood for something proper, I would kind of understand the emblematic, you know, force of the royal family. But really they were just kind of cold-hearted and mean and then they didn't do anything. And then all these people just get steamrolled like Diana in their mm. course of doing nothing and standing up for literally nothing except for the stoic Olivia Coleman line of we don't interfere, you know? Like, well, who I cares? think what they stand for and what she says, again, spoiler alert, but also it's history, What she says in the final episode where she gives Margaret Thatcher the order of merit is like, we both really cared about this country and this country's people and wanting to serve and public service and duty. So even if she didn't really make any overt political decisions, she was still, I don't know, an emblem of hope. And I'm definitely no monarchist, but I do think it's very interesting... um, I don't think they're cold-hearted. I think they're just very old-fashioned and British and have been raised to be so follow the rules and Diana really demonstrated a different kind of way of being and I really do remember as a child looking at her and thinking she was like the perfect mother and this beautiful mother and they really talk about that in the show. They're like, oh, the people love her because of her natural mothering instincts, like AKA Mm. actually wanting to spend time with her children. That was it basically. (laughs) Like, But everyone was like, oh gosh. (laughs) Yes. And I mean, at least Maggie Thatcher ran the country. Queen didn't. But, um, you know, I get it. Some people like them, you know, difficult difficult institution to get your head around especially in modern times given their track record Mm. but Diana 
if we talk about her for a sec, I mean, what did you learn about her through this show that maybe you didn't know before? Um, I think uh, the main takeaway for me that I wasn't aware of was how young and immature she was Same. when she was brought into this. So she was like a little child bride watching cartoons. You she know, was like I was 16. actually very struck by how much she was watching children's shows in her room. Yes. Mm. She was 16, I think, when she first met Charles. And then she was 18. Yeah, but then a few years passed and um, I think she was 18 or 19 when they got married or something. Yeah, exactly. And he was like, what, 35 or something or 33 or something? And more importantly, in love with someone else and <laughs> yeah. never interested in her. I know. And she was just so willing to be a part of the royal family and even though she was sort of I found it really interesting that she was from noble kind of I agree they were like the people's princess it's like she's a lady who lives in a palace already <laughs> like know. she's not bloody you know the uh Mary who married the prince of Denmark and stuff they're actually no. people. She wasn't an everyday person at all by any means. And she was very much not royal in how she presented. Yeah, I mean, she was initially, you know, she was quite the student vibe, kind of a hipster. Um, you but know. she also was her first weekend at Balmoral in Scotland. She knew all the right things to say because she had been raised with that proper upbringing. But she was also, you know, knew how to shoot and do all that stuff. Like, that was so weird, I thought. No, yeah. the royals all do that. I have to say the Queen is very cottagecore, don't you think, at Balmoral in Scotland? I do The have whole to vibe say. is like uh, gumboots and a parka and like tracing around on her horse. Yes, she's very cottagecore, very wilderness core, um, but <laughs> also like I, I really hated it, obviously, you know. All the hunting. All the hunting. Of course, I hate hunting, but I really hated that it was on a conservation that nobody else could touch just for them them to play hunt because mm. it was their land yeah. and then they wanted to get this giant moose thing and it was like, oh, my God. Isn't that just so a broader metaphor ridiculous. for colonialism? Well, yes, Grace, now that you mention it, <laughs> it is. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. <laughs> It's a metaphor for colonialism and, um, <laughs> and you know, it's, it's just so irrelevant, this existence mm. that they lead and all this money. And I just find it bizarre that they were so invested in Diana, but they didn't mm. care about Camilla, you know, where she was way more suited of age from a noble family. Like, how come she wasn't the first choice way back when she started dating Charles? Mm, well, I haven't seen season three, so I don't know if I missed some backstory, mm. but from what I can gather in season four, they basically can understand the PR power of Diana. They can see that she is going to do very well for the royal brand. They're concerned about the royal brand and she does do very well for the royal brand. And I think they seem concerned that Camilla would be like, some sort of uh, scandal. What I really hated was that, you know, um, when she succeeded at improving the royal brand, 
the more and more they hated her because she was being different. Only Charles. No, the royal family didn't like it either. They didn't like that she was getting all this attention. They didn't love mainly it. Mainly Charles. Ma- mainly Maybe Charles. Charles and Anne. Yeah, and the also the Queen. And every- no, they didn't like the fact that she was all with the people because they're all very structured and tight-lipped, you know. Mm. Um, they don't like going outside of the norm. And she kind of went outside of the norm, although she was very polite and sweet and she was kindness and light. They're not like that and they're not touchy-feely. So she was really good for the royal brand, but it was all great in theory. But then when she came into the family, they're like, who is this flighty cow? You know, and they hated her Mm. for being brilliant and and overshadowing Charles. Charles hated her for overshadowing him and the family hated her for overshadowing him too and for making the marriage difficult. Not for making the marriage difficult, but being part of of a marriage that didn't work, which predominantly was because of Charles and the fact that he was having an affair with his old flame who was married. So I think this is where fact versus fiction comes in. Um, And so you would have heard that the British Secretary of Culture actually put out a statement last year to say the crown is fiction Mm. Um, because everyone's watching it and everyone is treating it like a documentary. And I have been looking into it a bit and actually a lot of historians have taken a lot of criticism with how they did portray the Camilla marriage to Parker Bowles because um, actually the royal family had nothing to do with it. Whereas in The Crown it's portrayed that the royal family orchestrated marriage for Camilla and Parker Bowles to get them off and get you know get her away from Charles whereas in reality Camilla just wanted to marry General Parker Bowles and not Charles and um, all the historians say there's nothing to suggest the royal family was in any way uh, connected to that but it drives the narrative of the show better to suggest that that's what happened but that's not true. I don't know. I felt like that was an insignificant component that they took issue with. I disagree. I think that's really key because I think that if the royal family actually conspired to keep them apart, then Charles is in a much more sympathetic light where you're like, fair enough, like this is so unjust. Whereas if Camilla actually just chose another man, it's like, Charles, you are a dick. Yes. You know what I mean? Like he's just like an entitled deluded man if that's what really happened. Uh, Yes. I mean, sure. Sure. Um, It's one detail of a very large story. And I think that for somebody to issue a statement about that, you know, who cares? The statement was general. That's one example. I'll give you another example. Okay. Um, This one is interesting because this is the Australian episode. So they do an episode where Charles and Diana go to Australia and they play a Four Corners interview with Prime Minister Bob Hawke. Yes. And it's based off a real interview and it clearly starts exactly the same as the real interview, but then it completely changes. And I think it's actually worth playing them both side by side because they're so different. Okay. So this is what it said in The Crown. Is he the sort of man you'd like to be the King of Australia? Look, I don't think we'll be talking about uh, kings or monarchy here in Australia much longer. You know, we're past that now, aren't we? We're a bit more mature. 
no my position on this. It's no secret. I respect and admire the Queen enormously. The desire is simply to have a head of state that embodies and represents Australia's values and traditions. A head of state that, uh, that looks like us, sounds like us, thinks like us. As opposed to? Well, one of them, a POM. <laughs> you know, an unelected non-Australian who uh, lives on the other side of the world and, and for all their good intentions is a different breed. You wouldn't put a pig in charge of a herd of prime beef cattle. <laughs> even if it did look good in a twin set and pearls. And this is what uh, Bob Hawke really said. Is he the sort of man you'd like to be King of Australia? Uh, I don't think we'll be talking about Kings of Australia forevermore. Um, How soon might we stop? If you had well, your, if you it's had not your something brothers. that's going to be imposed. I just have a feeling... That I'm, I, I'm not, I don't dodge this question. I, I believe that we'd be better off as a republic. But I don't think it's a matter of great importance. I, the thing that concerns me is the condition of men and women out there in Australia, and particularly the people in poverty, the disadvantaged. And I don't, if we became a republic tomorrow, it wouldn't improve their condition one iota. But I think in terms of being our own country, that the time will come when Australians would prefer uh, to be a republic. I don't think it's number one issue on the agenda. And when uh, uh, Prince Charles and Princess Diana come, they've been invited, and they will receive all the courtesies and all the treatment that is appropriate to their position and their relationship with this country. And when you listen to those two soundbites side by side, they're really different. And a lot of people, um, so Four Corners put out the real interview straight afterwards. And the Crown creators had 100% seen the real interview because the first half is word for word. But they chose to go off script because they have said that they research it meticulously but that they still are trying to drive a personal narrative so in the australia episode the narrative they were trying to drive was that australia wanted to be a republic but then diana came and everyone loved diana whereas when you read the real interview it wasn't really that we were like firmly republic it was that like no one really cared and then we loved diana which is a less compelling story yeah no, that look that that part about the interview is really interesting. I didn't know that. Um, that's pretty. I mean, when I saw that, I was like, surely he didn't say that. No, it was really embarrassing. It was like yeah. this Australian yokel, sexist pig calling the queen a pig and talking about beef. Like, how rude! <laughs> yeah, that never happened. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was super rude. Um, when he said that, and I thought, I wonder if that's what he really said. But yeah, I no. got um distracted by the rest of what happened in the Crown, and I mm. I didn't Google it. But yeah, no, I thought that was really interesting. The part about Australia not being firm on being a republic and not caring about it, then falling in love with Diana and then, you know, not becoming a republic, that part I picked up on that they just didn't really have a care about it, but the Prime Minister really had firm views on it and really wanted it to swing that way and he was probably going to get it swung that way until Diana came. Yeah, so, but again, that's not... Well, I think it's partly... That's not the situation. But it is partly true. The point in The Crown is that, like, she's so popular, more popular than Charles and his jealousy, as you outlined. I mean, she she undoubtedly 
brought coverage and love and adoration to the royal family for so much of Australia and the world. I mean, in people the same way William her. and Kate do, Megan and no. Harry do before Megxit. Yes. No one gives a crap about Kate and William. Nobody. People like Kate and William and they're adorable children. They're boring as anything. They have to be boring. No, they don't. They can be Diana or they could be Meghan Markle and Harry. And they've left. Well, exactly. I mean, they're way more interesting. (laughs) They're way more interesting. And nobody cares about Kate and William. Like, they are so yesterday. No one cares. And um, the royal family is just so irrelevant. But Diana Have you heard it. Kate and William have like a fake Instagram followers? <gasps> they have to like they have bots. They somehow they have to buy Yeah, them. they have bot followers so they can always stay more popular than Megan and Harry, even though Megan and Harry's followers are like actual real people because oh, they're awesome. that is so sad. It's sad. That is so sad. sad. Again. Speaking of sad, um something else that I didn't know about until the crown was the cousins of the Queen and Princess Margaret who were in a mental institution. And that's yes. real. I, yeah, I knew that was real. That was, yeah, really sad. I did not know about that at all. It's really sad. They covered um, that. They cu- well, again, what I have read is that apparently the royal family did not know Um Look, it's hard to know what's truth and what's lie, but people say, well, if the royal family didn't know, why were they in there? And it's like, okay, well, why were the other 200 people in there? Because it was the 70s and people didn't know how to deal with stuff like that. Um, But it is, yeah, that was a really, definitely a really confronting What do you mean? Well. What were people saying? So, um, again, for those who haven't seen it, there was a cousin who was – um, had a disability. Two cousins, Narissa and uh, Catherine. That's right. And they put them into a asylum Yeah, at that time. And apparently everyone thought they were dead. Yes, everyone thought they were dead, but actually they were in an asylum. And it was insinuated that the royal family did that on purpose to cover it because it was shameful. And yeah, I totally and the, it's don't. really interesting the quote that they talk about in the show where they're like, it's already hard enough to claim that someone born into this bloodline has the right to become the next king or queen. People already aren't accepting that as a premise. So imagine if we challenge that premise by saying that this bloodline has genetic issues uh, that will make this even more a tenuous premise that people will start to challenge for the, you know, structure of the royal family. We need to pretend that we have the most pure bloodline, which is like really Ugh, creepy. And apparently that so conversation cre- never happened. That conversation never happened? I don't know. I think um, I... There's no evidence that conversation ever happened. It's just an interesting... It's, yeah, story. I mean, look, it's a, it's a, it's a take on real events it's a take but i don't it's think true it's true they were in the asylum it's true but it's that not they were in the asylum it's true that, that they, people were thought they were cousins. dead it's true that people thought they were dead i mean 
It is so not past the royal family to do something like this. I don't doubt it for a second. Mm. And look, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Sure, show me the facts. But realistically, it's a PR thing and they can deny all they want. But I, I believe that they would have been happy to cover it up. And sure, maybe certain members within the royal family didn't know about it because the people mm. who made that decision wanted to keep it as hush-hush as possible and didn't tell anybody. So that makes total sense. You know, I just totally believe that they would have done that. It's just this, yeah, outdated institution. It's so silly and it's so wrong and so sad. And uh, just I just couldn't get past the treatment of Diana in that marriage by Charles. I just mm. thought, oh, my God, and obviously her eating disorder and everything, which I didn't know about. Mm. Um, that was in it a lot. And they did yeah. do trigger warnings, which was good. Um, yeah. It's but important. that was in it a lot. Yeah, because I think there's not been that much discussion about it in history. Mm. Um, and I think it, yeah. that wasn't a shock to me. I did know about it, but I guess I hadn't. It was I didn't shock. know about it. I just heard about the show and people were discussing it, the themes, before I'd mm. watched it. So I sort of had an idea. But yeah, no, I just. I had heard about it in the context of like Diana was troubled. She had depression and bulimia. Like I'd heard that. Yeah, right, right. In a problematic way, you know. Yes. And look, I will talk about um, something else in my recommendations that you should all listen to um, if you want to know more about The Crown. Um, but check it out for yourselves. There are some really amazing scenes in it. Um, I didn't know about, for instance, the ballet scene where she pops out and gives Charles a birthday performance. That was hilarious. And then he and I loved where she did the other the uh, Phantom of the Opera or something. What did she do? Yeah, (laughs) and he didn't even like it. I thought it was adorable. Literally, nothing she did was good enough for him. And sure, eventually they ended up hating each other, but he just shut her down at every opportunity and made her feel so small. And I just hated him throughout that whole thing. Mm. You know, he should have just been with Camilla if he could have and not been with anyone else. But yeah, again, like you said, he couldn't ghost her. He was in this institution and he couldn't get away from her. (laughs) (laughs) But also she ditched him. So that's what I think is the big problem. Like she rejected you. So don't take that out on Diana. That's so true. And there was a line in it where it it actually, I think the Crown did explain that Camilla really did love her husband. Mm. I think they do explain that. So even if there was that inconsistency about the royal family encouraging the marriage between Camilla and this other person, Parker Bowles, um, I think that it is made clear that she did love this man. Because even Anne yeah. says it's a classic story of a person who's in love with someone, who's in love with someone else, who's in love with someone else. Yeah, that's And right. it is so apt. It's like perfectly describes that situation. It is actually remarkable that in 2013 or something, they finally got married. And Charles and Camilla lived happily ever after. Like, that's huge for the royal family, given what we've seen from the 80s. It's true. And they are a true love story. I just Mm. hate that Diana was this, you know, very tragic collateral damage in his way to get there. 
and I, I can't wait for season five and six now. Oh. I need more. And Diana is in at least two more seasons. So yes. I just can't wait. Like, do we know how far it's going to go? Is it going to go all the way up to Megan? Look, I think they're going to make that decision later. I know they're doing it's a so season popular, five though, and six. Like, it's so popular, but I, yeah. I don't know if they can do up to current just because there's too much happening. So maybe they'll, you know, stop at season six. And that's my prediction. They'll stop at season six and then make maybe another two seasons in another five years or 10 years or something. Mm. Kind of like pick it back up where it left off sort of thing. Well, if Diana is in two more seasons, that's only to the mid nineties. So they clearly could keep going in terms of, um, that's very true. Actually, it's better down, you know, they could actually. Yeah. Well, we'll wait and see. We will definitely maybe have to do a trash on The Crown Season 5 because I am fully a monarchist now and obsessed with The Crown. Yep. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, how about we go and die on a hill, shall we? Let's. So the hill I am willing to die on this week, it's a random one, I grant you that. Okay. The fact is, nectarines are underrated. <laughs> they are delicious and they do not get the social status they deserve. It's actually true. Right? Yeah, it is true. And same with peaches because I've had my first nectarine recently. Mm, I'm pretty sure delicious. I never had one before because I just thought that I hated stone fruit but actually it's no. amazing yeah wait you literally only had your first nectarine like recently for as long as I can wow. remember yeah because no one told you how good they are they're never on fruit platters that often no they're not and they're relatively inexpensive like we're very lucky we're in Australia that we have like a wide range of fresh fruit and veg available but like nectarines are not your cherries they're not that expensive they're like and they are delicious. They I was having a nectarine the other day and I was like, I need to remember this for the podcast because this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and no one's talking about it. Yeah, no one's talking about it. It is a big conspiracy. The nectarine concealed, um, I don't know. I don't know why the government is suppressing the um, amazingness of nectarines, but I, I kind of agree with you. They are they are really good. I reckon mm. that some people just confuse them with either other fruits if they don't like peaches or plums, and they're kind of like, I probably won't like this other random thing either. Mm. <laughs> but they're really good. They're really good. Yeah. And but, there's a lot of variety in stone fruit. Like a plum is totally different. So is an mm. apricot, so is peach. But nectarine, mm. I feel like, is at the top of the pyramid. Yep, 100%. I do also feel very old um, that this is your hill. Um, Yeah. (laughs) That nectarines Whatever, that's what I got passionate about this week, all right? Have we turned 85? Nearly. Or are we almost 30? Like, I don't know. (laughs) It's our cottage core life. I want a nectarine tree and I want it now. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Well, my hill this week is also kind of lame um but (laughs) it's movie related and talking during movies is the effing worst can't stand it can't stand it it's so annoying and look 
I've definitely been the person to talk in a film if I don't like Can a film Can I clarify? Yes. At the cinema or at home? Oh, at home. You can't talk at the cinema. That's just so rude. That's just obvious. Yeah, but we're talking literally at home. Like, oh, wait, what? You know, or something. But you can ask a question um, if it's at a slow moment and you pick your timing and you can say, wait, I just need to clarify what happened there. Then someone's mm. like helping you follow along and you're engaged. You're engaged. And it's helping you get more out of the movie. You're exactly totally in it. Yeah. But don't talk while there's something important being said. And don't talk about something random that's tangentially related to the film while people are talking. If it's a yeah. good film, I mean, it I is def- disrespectful. It's so disrespectful and it's so annoying, and it also ruins the flow of the movie. I've definitely uh, watching movies with Sandy is so annoying because she gets up and walks away constantly. She's like, "Anyone want snacks?" Da, 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 you're da. like, "You're missing it," and then she's like talking to the dog and stuff, and I'm like, "You have it." You don't even know if you hate the movie yet. You haven't watched any of it yet. Especially uh, if you've seen it before. You're like, this is a key moment. Exactly. Or it's just a shared experience. I don't know. I'm such a Nazi when it comes to that. Um, my friend Clancy uh, we, <laughs> my friend Clancy and Matt came up this weekend, um, just gone, and uh, they constantly, um, you know, we all hate when there's distractions during movies, but there was mm-hmm. this one movie that we were watching and we just couldn't help but have constant interruptions. Like at one point we were ordering food. At another point someone needed to pee. At one point the dog needed to go outside. Mm. Um, like just the charger was running flat or it was too hot and we had to switch rooms or the speaker wasn't working and like we just had so many interruptions and it was so annoying, but we all hated it. And it kind of just really reminded me how much you're either one person or the other you're someone who really doesn't care about movies that much it's kind of hard to focus the attention span's not really there for you Mm. um there are some people who just really aren't great with movies like they just don't have the attention span for it and I think they just constantly talk during film I think I can be both and I think that's because there's two very different ways you can consume a movie you can actively want to watch a movie or you can just want kind of like a background feel good thing while you scroll Instagram and if it's the latter, you're kind of like, yeah, this is a pretty basic movie. Like, I feel like I am going to be fine if I, I kind of agree with you there. The like, kitchen. a basic film, you know, like a rom-com or something you've seen before. But a great you know? film? No. As something thrilling as well, like something where you've got to concentrate or there's anything important being said, like to follow along, that's really tricky when people are talking if it's just a rom-com sure it doesn't matter too much you know it's kind of annoying but it's not it's not gonna really irritate me it's not gonna personally offend not gonna personally offend me but yeah talking during Mm. a thriller or getting distracted or talking about something that's completely unrelated to the film that's not even asking a question about the film oh can't stand it would die on that hill any day (laughs) yeah very interesting very interesting and I think in like yeah, the new world order where we always have our phone in our lap and our laptop in our lap and the TV on, like, our attention span is gone. And I feel like talking in movies would have never happened 50 years ago and now it is very common. So, again, are you 85? <laughs> <laughs> I think I must be 85. Um, we both are. We yeah, both are. definitely getting close. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's see what um, elderly things we can recommend this week. (laughs) 
made a recommendation about a film we've all scrolled past. Uh, you were recommending Instant Family. Yes. And we were just saying, like, what a great public service that is to just be like, yes, we have all seen that in the options. Like, was it good? So I am going to do a similar thing. It's a movie we've all seen suggested on Netflix called The Spy Who Dumped Me. Have you seen that advertised to you? Yes, I have actually. It, the name looks so bad. I was like, is this like an Austin Powers, but they're women, like a Ghostbusters looks terrible. Thing? It's actually really good and funny. Really? So, yes. So that's why I thought I'd do the public service of telling everyone, actually click on that and watch it because it's actually just a really good comedy. It's got Kate um, McKinnon from SNL and Mila Kunis, who doesn't often play funny roles. She's usually more like the straight man, but she is very funny in this. And like it has a bad name, but it's actually funny it's not going to win any Oscars, but it's a fun, like, female friendship-driven romp, which I'm all about, and, like, I totally enjoyed it. Why has nobody watched this? Why is nobody talking about it? Well, because no one took one for the team yet and told everyone it's actually all right. So here I am, everyone. Here you are. It. Thank you. Thank you for that public service. We needed that. No worries. So my first recommendation is related to The Crown and it is a podcast and it's called You're Wrong About. Have you heard mm, of this podcast? Yes. Yes, I have. Yeah. Yes. It's really good. It's really good. Two people talking about various topics and dissecting them uh, and just really kind of fascinating to hear their takes on it. And they have a five-part series about Diana. And it goes all the way from when she met Charles to the car crash and so much of what they talk about is in The Crown. Did and it come out before or after The Crown? Uh, ooh, good question. I reckon roughly the same time. Roughly. The Crown only came out not that long ago, right? Not that long ago. So yeah. I'm actually I'm actually not sure on that one, but um, it's a five-parter and um, – Pretty much they talk about a lot of what The Crown is based on, which is a biography and two bi- two mm. biographies of Diana, one where she was more involved and the other where she wasn't. So it's pretty interesting to hear the differing um, opinions, but also it's, it is yeah. all based in fact. It's just kind of how the information is presented, which is a bit different. Um, and they, and they talk about both and it's really, really fascinating and, so many of the actual facts that happened throughout the Diana saga were in the crown. I think this is why mm. I feel defensive when people say, oh, so much of it wasn't real. I'm like, but okay, sure, but so much of it was real, mm. you know, and why aren't we focusing on that? I'm like, there mm. is so much that was real, so much horrible shit that she went through, so much that happened in that family. And mm. so much of it is real. The interview with the Prime Minister of Australia, mm, quite problematic. But that's not what this podcast is about. And it's that wasn't a main plot point of The Crown anyway. That was like a random side it point was that a, the Australians care about. Yeah, and it was a side scene in a whole yeah, episode that was, was actually quite was. factual. Diana, they even talk about the fact that she was insistent on bringing her child to Australia. She insisted mm. on doing it and um, they hated her for it. They were like, you can't just bring a baby. It's so unroyal, you know, and mm. they, the, the family hated her for that. And she, then she was 
seen as this angelic, amazing mother. And they were like, oh, the press is actually loving it. But they kind of hated mm. it because she went against their wishes. But the society, but Australia and New Zealand loved her. And, and so, America as well. And America, like everyone loved every, anything she did just turned to gold pretty much, except in the family's eyes was, you know, um, they resented it. And mm. anyway, then they talk about the car crash and it will dispel mm. any conspiracy theories that are out there. Um, they talk about the physics of the crash and it's really fascinating. And mm. yeah, it's just a really good deep dive into Diana and so much I listened to it after I watched The Crown and so much of what they talked about was in it they really the even the dance even the dance scene um for Charles's birthday and um you know just so many little things were true Mm. Charles really quite openly despised Diana I think that's why they made the comment that it's fiction, I think, because of how badly the show was reflecting on Charles. But he was awful. And look, Mm. there is a beautiful um, quote from him, I think, at her funeral, which they talk about in the podcast. Spoilers for season six. Jeez. Sorry. Which I won't (laughs) say here. I won't spoil it. But, um, yeah, in the podcast they do talk about um, something very lovely that he said in her funeral, at her funeral. Um, And uh, that was very nice. But, I mean, their whole relationship was extremely toxic and he was horrible to her. In the end she ended up being horrible back to him. But, I mean... She was just in such an isolated zone. Totally. Um, it was totally unforgivable unforg- what he did to her. And um, he's a flawed person. He's not perfect. But, um, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. I, I, I think it was an accurate portrayal, but, you know, I wasn't in their relationship, so I'll never know. But I, I did think it's a really cool um, tool to use if you just want to know a bit more about the nitty gritty and they talk about the biographies, but they also talk about other information that they've obtained elsewhere and mm. newspapers and facts. And um, it's, it's definitely not a documentary. It's a podcast, but um, yeah, it's fairly informative. Great. Well, I have a very similar recommendation. So I also love that podcast. You're wrong about. Yay. It's so interesting and so cool. And as you said, like, you don't need to listen to every episode of it. You just kind of pick a topic you're interested in. So you listen to Diana. Totally. What I listen to that I am recommending is the You're Wrong About series on Jessica Simpson. Oh, it's that sounds so interesting. Interesting. And again, it's based on um, them reading her biography and then sort of distilling it and talking about it it's actually her um self-told autobiography called open book which sounds like so cheesy but is actually amazing and she's amazing and i've heard this i have heard this i didn't know why but i've heard that jessica simpson has like a really big story to tell yeah so there's like a few dark things particularly in her childhood and how she's kind of also been stereotyped her whole life but then it's also just really fascinating um in her more modern life and a particularly fascinating very prominent part of the story is John Mayer and him just being a total creep um what yeah so I don't know if you remember that they like famously dated 
and he like made Damn. these comments about her being sexual napalm, which was like really weird because she's like, dude, I'm like a pop star slash choir singer. Can you like kind of, it's like not on brand for me. <laughs> um, but he was also just like would show up at her parents' house after they broke up and like play her parents' acoustic guitar concerts, like trying to get her back. And was just like such a f- boy. Like John Mayer is the worst. And I don't say that just because he broke Taylor Swift's heart and she wrote Dear John about him. Like he also was just the worst to Jessica Simpson as well. Wow. Okay. And yeah. that's like totally discussed in this podcast as well as just all these other things. And like, as you would know, it's like a man and a woman and they just have this like really good style. They kind of tell each other um, stuff and one of them generally is a bit less informed, which is really interesting. And it's a really good podcast. So like basically just go on and scroll for a topic that you're personally interested in and just listen to those episodes. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. I can't wait to check that out. It's been a long time Mm. since. What was her... um, uh, mini series that came out that reality show was newlyweds. newlyweds. <laughs> they talk a lot about newlyweds in the podcast as well. Oh, good. Okay, I definitely need a to lot about that. To that. Nick Lachey, ASAP. So, um, mm-hmm. I think uh, we're just going uh, on a podcast bandwagon. Great. And um, I've got another podcast to recommend. It's called Let's Solve Nothing, <laughs> and it is just the best. It's two Irish women. And I've never heard of them before. It's Marianne O'Connell and Joanne McNally. And I, they Such must Irish be... Such Irish names. Irish, yeah. It's They must be comedians, actresses, something. I've literally not even Googled them. That's how new this podcast is to me. I started listening to it today. Right. And specifically their episode on ghosting. And they Great. sort of loosely uh, pop in and out of the topic and they just banter. It's just all about banter and they are so funny. I was belly laughing listening <gasps> listening to this episode. And it is their first episode, that one on ghosting. They've only got they only started in November last year. So there's only like ten episodes or something. And I'm so excited for more. Like Great. it's just a really joyous romp like it is just silly and they are so funny and they're Irish I mean could you ask for more it is just Uh, a wonderful little podcast it sounds like heaven Um, (laughs) and speaking of delightful romps of podcasts we'll be back next week with another set of great topics (laughs) that's right you might have seen some memes around involving the name GameStop And if you have no idea what that means, it's got something to do with shares. Grace? (laughs) Yes, I will be explaining to you and all of our listeners next week what exactly happened with GameStop. What is GameStop? What is Robinhood? Also, what is stocks and what is Reddit? (laughs) What the hell is shorting the market? Like, I don't get it. Totally don't get it. I'm sure a lot of people don't get it. (laughs) It's quite fascinating. And speaking of fascinating, if you listened to the episode last week, you know that Miranda wholeheartedly recommended Promising Young Woman. 
So this is your one week warning. <laughs> Go and watch this film because we are going to be talking about it in trash and there will be spoilers. And I think we don't want to spoil it for everyone. We want you to have seen it. We want you to be able to be part of the conversation. I actually haven't seen it. So I'll be watching it this week as well, ready to talk about it with all of you next week. Yes, please watch it because I want you to have the impact of watching it for the first time without any predisposed discussion because it is just that good. I can't wait. And remember, you can always check us out during the week on social media. We post all of our bonus content on our Instagram page and also drop our stuff on our Facebook page. So chuck us a follow and subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes come out. Thanks for listening and we'll see you all next week. Please note that the views expressed within this podcast are our own and we are not experts. We have done some serious Googling and even some serious internet deep dives, but we are by no means qualified. If you need actual advice, please speak to a licensed professional. We can even help you Google one.